Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Okay, we're going to open up God's Word now. Uh, So if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it. Uh, If you are looking for a Bible, there's some baskets on all of the aisles where you can take a Bible out to open up. And if you don't have a Bible at home, you're more than welcome to take one of those and have it as your own Bible. Uh, We are going to be reading from the book of 2 Corinthians today, and we're looking at chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 3 to verse 11. And the title I have in here is Praise to the God of All Comfort. So, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive, we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in our answer to the prayers of many. Awesome. Well, today's week two in Vision Month here at Follow. And uh, last week we launched our theme for the year. And if you happen to miss last week, you probably picked up what it is in the video. Um, the theme for this year is the word compelled. And it comes from last week's passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, which says, For Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised again. Whenever we do anything in life, and particularly when it comes to serving and living for God, we shouldn't start with the what we do or the how we do it, but the passion for what we do should spring from the why we do it. Um, I said last week, I see the word compel as, as a word of momentum. It's not a word that looks like this. It's not a word that looks like this. It's a word of momentum, and it's a word that can't help but spring forward. It's like when you put a car in drive. You haven't yet touched the accelerator, but you can't help but surge forward. You're engaged, you're compelled, you have momentum. In its most positive sense, compelled is a word that describes when you are so gripped by something that you can't help but want to act upon it. It becomes like an obsession. It becomes uh, your number one priority in life. It's very different to doing something out of obligation or pressure or simply because you're on a roster. And so as individuals and as a church, 
This year, in 2018, we want to be people who are compelled by the love of Christ in 2018 to live for him. Today in our Compelled series, we're focusing on prayer, and it's an area of church life that we really want to go deeper in this year. If I was to describe Follow Baptist Church, I think we're a church that prays, but I'm not yet convinced that we're a church that has a culture of prayer, certainly not cultural, uh, corporate prayer, although I think that might be changing. Today we had 14 people in our pre-service prayer meeting. Uh, usually when we crack 10, that's a, that's a great day, and when we get over a half a dozen at our Monday night prayer meeting uh, every fourth Monday of the month, uh, we kind of leap for joy. Um, but I'm not really criticising today. I don't always get to those meetings myself. I know life can be busy. I'm simply making an observation. But I do think that if we were compelled by the love of Christ to pray, the venues we currently meet in would not be big enough. If we were truly compelled to prayer. The title of today's message is Compelled to Pray. And if we're honest, prayer is something that most of us sometimes struggle to be compelled towards. This week I asked a question on Facebook And it was a simple question. It was this. If you can use only one word to describe your prayer life, what would it be? Now, as of Thursday, there were 38 positive descriptions of people's prayer lives. Words like refreshing and alive, thankful and growing, expectant, constant and conversational. And my favorite, compelling. Mike Cosgrove wrote that. And I think that he was listening to the sermon last week. So top of the class for you, Mike. But what I was surprised by is that there was only eight negative descriptions amongst all the positive ones. The negative ones were this, intermittent, struggling, inconsistent, not enough, haphazard, testing, infrequent, and distracted. And as I looked at all those words, it occurred to me that all those words could describe my prayer life at various times in my life. And so I was surprised at the results that there were so many positive and so few negative. And I forgot for a moment, I'm not just pastoring any old church, I'm pastoring Follow Baptist Church, full of passionate and prayerful people. And there's obviously some prayer robots here. You're like machines. You're just on your knees 24 hours a day, just by the bed praying and sending up prayers to the Lord. And that's awesome. If that's your prayer life, that's wonderful. But I want to park the prayer robots over here for a moment. And I want to represent the honest people over here. (laughs) And I'm going to call us the prayer stragglers. Because if I was to describe my own prayer life, I would say that it's regular. I would say that it's constant, tick, tick. But I would say that my prayer life's distracted. I used to be part of a movement of churches, and the founder of that movement used to talk about prayer a lot. He'd speak regularly at conferences, and he'd always get up and tell us every conference that without fail, every day of his life, he gets up 5 o'clock in the morning, goes to the beach, and from 5 to 8 o'clock, I can still remember his words, he has powerful and focused prayer. I thought, that is awesome. And so I thought, one day I came back inspired from that conference, and I thought, well, maybe the key to fruit in ministry is that formula, that I should set my alarm for 5 a.m. Monday morning. And so I did, set my alarm for 5 o'clock, and went off to bed the night before, and my alarm went off at 5 o'clock. Beep, 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 beep. And I was like, ah, what is that? Where am I? What's going on? Who on earth would set my alarm for five o'clock? That is just crazy. And then I realized, oh, I did. Um, all right, focused and power, powerful prayer today. And then I hit the snooze button and said, no, it's a dumb idea. I went back to sleep. 
all day I felt guilty and I thought, that's pathetic. You can't even do one day. And so I was determined tomorrow morning, I'm going to set the alarm at five o'clock. I'm going to give it another go. It's going to be powerful and focused prayer. And so I set the alarm, five o'clock, beep, beep. I got up, instant regret swept over me. And I got up and I thought, no, I'm determined. I'm going to pray. Powerful and focused prayer. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I was trying to convince myself at that stage. Then I started to pray, dear Lord, would you use us to have a blessing? Would you use us to reach people? And then I felt a grumble in my stomach. And I thought, man, I'm hungry. I wonder what's for breakfast. <laughs> and I thought, no, 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 you're praying. Okay, dear Lord, I just pray that you would help our friends that are struggling. Be with them. I pray that you'd bless them. What day is that wedding I'm conducting? Um, Oh, you're praying. All right, pray for that couple. Dear Lord, pray for that couple and their marriage. Uh, the wedding come out, it would be a great day. The marriage would be blessed. And then I'd get distracted again. And I swear, I got to the end of that prayer session. I thought, that must be three hours. And it was five past five. <laughs> and I was so incredibly discouraged, just thinking, how can I be a Christian? How can I be in ministry? And I can't even pray for more than five minutes. Well, I've got a few years down the track now, and I've got a little bit more maturity, or at least I'd like to think. And I've come to realize that comparison is a stupid pursuit. Let me say that again. Comparison is a stupid pursuit because we are all different. We're created unique by God. Our relationship with him is deeply personal and unique. And there'll be no prayer life that is exactly the same as someone else. There is no one key to effective prayer. And I've got to be honest, I never pray for three hours straight. I don't even prepare sermons that way. I do a little bit, and then I've got to do something else and have a break. I'm just not wired that way. And so I pray for five minutes, and I'll pray for 10 minutes, and I'll pray for two minutes, and I'll pray for 30 seconds, and I'll pray for 15 minutes. And all day, I'm always in a state of prayerfulness where I'm open to the Holy Spirit leading to me to pray for the things I need to pray for or that I want to pray for at particular times. I, I very rarely even pray for an hour, except when I gather with a group of people where, surprisingly, I'm not distracted. And the time goes quickly. And that's why I think corporate prayer is actually really important because we encourage one another and we bounce off one another in prayer. And something someone else prays will trigger something for you and then you'll pray about it and it'll be something on your heart. And together, in unity, you pray and it's quite a powerful time. And so I'd encourage you to gather with other people as much as you possibly can. But once again, when it comes to prayer, I think we too often focus on the what and the how. What do we need? How will God provide it? And how should we pray? Should I get up at 5 a.m. and pray for three hours? Should I do the Acts method where it's adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication? Should I pray through scripture? Should I have a prayer journal? But I want to say today, I don't think the issue is that we don't know how to pray. I think the issue is that we forget why we pray. And so why do we pray? I think Jesus gives us a blueprint in the Lord's Prayer that we sang about today, which I didn't know we were singing about until Hannah introduced it. I love how God works that way. But he says these words. He says, this is how you should pray. Now, when Jesus says, this is how you should do something, I think that's worth listening to. And he starts the prayer by saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so he starts his prayer with elevation and praise and adoration. And that should always be a key part of our regular prayer life. But then he goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right there, there's the why of prayer. We're compelled 
by the love of Christ and that love burns in our heart as such a passion that we want to see his will done and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what we want to see an officer? That God's kingdom would come into this region, that his will would be done in people's lives, that we'd see people saved, that we would see people completely transformed, come fully alive to Christ, that his name would be lifted high over our region, that his love would burst through the darkness of this world. Isn't that what we want to see in this region? That's why we planted a church, and that is the primary why of prayer, to see his kingdom come and his will be done in incredible ways. And so why don't we pray more? Because I think we focus too much on the what and how, and it doesn't inspire us, and we lose sight of the why, but when we remember and start with the why, the love of Christ, I believe, will compel us to pray. Today's passage from 2 Corinthians 1 is a powerful passage on prayer, and there's three things from it that I want to highlight for us this morning. The first one's critical. We need to know who we're praying to. We need to know who we're praying to. God is a powerful God. But he's also a loving God. In verse 3, it says he's the father of compassion and he's the God of all comfort. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he was in a season of life where he urgently needed comforting. He planted this church in Corinth. He'd invested his life into the lives of these people. And his relationship with the church should have been one that's reciprocal. I feel like as a lead pastor of Follow, I have a reciprocal relationship of encouragement with you. This is a relationship of mutual encouragement. I do my best every week, or at least I hope it is, to encourage you guys in the Word, to encourage you to look to Jesus, to encourage you to grow in your faith. And in many ways, you're an amazing bunch of people, and I feel a lot of encouragement from you on a regular basis. And so this is a a relationship of mutual encouragement. But who knows that not all relationships are like that? The Apostle Paul certainly didn't have that kind of relationship with this church in Corinth. The church at Corinth, which Paul himself had started, had now turned on him. They were backbiting and criticizing, and they were treating him in pretty hurtful ways. And so he was looking for comfort. You know, comfort is something that we all long for. I think the world is obsessed with having comfort, and they look for comfort in all sorts of different places. We have comfort food. I talked last week about KFC. I don't need to tell you what my comfort food is. But we look for food for comfort. Other people look at their bank account or their reputation or their career or their house or their relationships or their retirement. Uh, But one of the main areas we look to for comfort is in people. Paul wasn't finding comfort from the people he would have expected it from the most. And so he lifted his eyes above the discouragement that he was immersed in and he fixed his eyes on the place where true comfort comes from. I want to say this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. People... It's it's discouraging and encouraging at the same time. Are you ready? People will always let you down. Even in a community like this, where we don't want to let each other down, where we want to love and serve and lay our lives down for one another, part of our fallen, broken human nature is that at times we will let one another down. People will always let you down. And so if you look to people as your primary source of comfort, you're going to come crashing down at some stage. People will always let you down. But there's a God that will never let you down. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to take comfort from people. That's a wonderful thing. But lift your eyes for your primary source of comfort and fix it on the God of all comfort. As Paul talks about, 
in this passage. He's the God of all comfort. And so in verses 4 to 7, Paul reminds them, and I think himself in this context, that God is the source of true, lasting comfort in our lives. The word comfort is used nine times in five verses from 3 to 7, all inclusive. Starting at verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. I can never get that finger up. Nine times. What is he trying to get across to us? Where does our comfort come from? One person knows. Do you want me to read the passage again? God is our true source of comfort. Well done, Hayden. Always knew you are the most spiritual guy here, mate. You just confirmed it. Mary's a lucky lady. Paul reminds us that God is our primary source of comfort. This church is the God that we pray to. This is the God who knows you. He knows every hair on your head, which is easier with some people than others. But he knows you inside out. He knows you back to front. He knows everything about you. He knows you and I better than we know ourselves. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the awesome things we've done for him. He knows the terrible decisions we've made. And yet despite all of that, we have a God who chooses to love us anyway. A God that says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That God would love us so much that he would send his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not die but would have eternal life. Let me tell you, that's an incredible God. And as we pray, we need to know the God we pray to. It's that God, an incredibly powerful God, but a God who is not just powerful and aloof. He is incredibly intimate and he is our Father. And so it's incredibly important that we remember who we pray to. He loves you. He cares about you. He will comfort you and work through you and I in powerful ways for our good and for his glory as we seek his face in prayer. What an exciting opportunity prayer is. Sometimes I think we forget who we're speaking to. You know, last season, my favourite footballer of all time, Nick Rewalt, retired. An all-time great of the game. We're going to cast out some demons at the end of the uh, service, starting over in this region. Anyone who knows anything about football knows that Nick Rewalt was an all-time great. And he retired last season, uh, champion football, and I think a very good person off the field as well. And I'd be lying if I said a few tears didn't well up at his farewell game. We were at his game, and my nephew said to his dad at the end of the game through tears, Dad, I don't want Nick to go. And we nearly all lost it. (laughs) Shh, don't tell anyone. It's a very emotional day. But after his retirement, Nick Rewalt wrote a book. Every sportsman does that. But it's not just a sportsman book. It's a book about his life. He lost his... Uh, sister Maddie, tragically to cancer. He's been through some stuff in life. And so it's a a story about 
his life, about football, about emotion, about tragedy, about loss. And from all reports, it's a really incredible book. Uh, after he retired, he went right around the nation promoting his book. So he went to bookstores and he went to public venues. And I saw photos on the website of Nick Rewalt sitting at a table and then a queue of people going right out the door and around the corner and people just waiting for hours uh, just to have a glimpse of Nick Rewalt, just to be face-to-face with him, to have a conversation, to get his autograph on their new book. And I thought about that this week, and I completely understand that because he's a legend. But I thought about that this week, and it hit me that people will sleep out overnight. They'll stand in queues for hours just to get a glimpse of a celebrity, and yet we have the opportunity to have a conversation with the creator of the universe who created all those celebrities, and yet he is not just a powerful God, he's our loving father, and sometimes in a 24-hour day we can't find five minutes to spend speaking to him. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because we forget who we're speaking to. Prayer is perhaps the most immense privilege of our lives. On Wednesday, we're commencing 40 days of prayer and fasting, as Ray mentioned, here at Follow. And I want to tell you, it's not a token gesture. We believe that our prayer is having two-way conversation with the God who knows and can do all things. We believe that our prayer will make a difference this year because we know who we're praying to. Our prayer, I believe, will directly correlate with our impact. Little prayer, little impact. Lots of prayer, lots of impact. And I think we can look back at the end of this year on 2018, and when we look at what God's done in and through our church, I think it'll be a good indication of what our prayer has been like. And so I want to encourage you, this season of prayer and fasting, even if prayer is difficult for you, to stretch yourself in prayer. It might mean committing to an hour a week on the prayer calendar after the service today. It might mean getting home and putting Feb 26 in your diary where we're having a prayer and worship night at the shed for every age group. It might simply mean that you resolve to grow in your own personal prayer life in 2018. But in order to do that, we need to know who we're praying to. Secondly, we need to know who we're praying for. It's important that we pray for ourselves. Scripture encourages us to bring our requests to God over and over again. Paul, many times in Scripture, requests prayer for himself, for his ministry, and for the impact in all that they were doing. Even in this passage, we see it if you look at verse 8. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, listen to this bit, far beyond our ability to endure. Far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Listen to this part. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Paul had reached the end of himself. He was going through stuff far beyond his own ability to endure. And so he prayed to the God who can do all things, even raise the dead. I mentioned last week that on Wednesday I had the privilege of conducting a funeral for a 29-year-old man who was killed the week before in a workplace accident, leaving behind a wife who's 21 weeks pregnant with their first child. It's an absolute tragedy. Over 700 people turned up to the funeral, which is an indicator of the impact that this guy had on so many people in his life. I led their Thanksgiving service and then went with the family and close friends to the Pakenham Cemetery where we did the committal and the burial service. 
Verses 3 and 4 of this passage are two verses that I read out as a comfort to the family at the graveside. And I encourage them to make this their prayer because it talks of God's comfort. The reason I did this is that there's nothing I can possibly say or do to bring them comfort in those circumstances. There's nothing I can do to bring their loved one back. And in a circumstance like that, I don't know about you, but I feel completely powerless. Nothing I can do to change this circumstance. And it's an awful feeling. And I think we often want to avoid powerlessness in our lives, but it's actually the bedrock of prayerfulness. Let me say that again. We often want to avoid the feeling of powerlessness in our life, but it's actually the bedrock of prayerfulness. When we are weak, he is strong. And we're praying to a God who can do things that we could never achieve ourselves, things that are not possible. This is what I love about being a co-worker with God. God operates in the supernatural. He can do all things. But our job as co-workers is to bring those things to him in prayer. That's how we work with God. That's the part that we pray. And so as we pray, we are God's co-workers bringing things to him, trusting that he can do all things. And so Paul, in this situation, had reached the end of himself. And I'm sure all of us can relate to that feeling at times. And so we pray for ourselves. It is good and it is right and it is biblical to bring our personal prayer requests before God on a regular basis. And we're not praying to a distant, disconnected being. We're praying to a powerful but intimate God who cares about us and listens to our prayers because he's the father of compassion and he's the God of all comfort. And so we bring our prayers for ourselves to the Lord. But it's so important that we don't just pray for ourselves, but we also balance it with prayer for others. Our prayer life should not consist solely of prayer for ourselves. If we were to do an inventory of our prayer lives and we could put all of our prayers on a scale, I imagine that most of our prayer lives would be a bit out of whack in terms of the weight. I think the prayer for ourselves often outweighs the prayer that we put forward for other people. And I think it's a really important thing to balance prayer in our lives so that it includes not just prayer for ourselves, but prayer for others, because prayer isn't a selfish pursuit, it's a kingdom endeavor. What an awesome thought it is to think that your prayers could powerfully impact the life of another person. And that's exactly what Paul highlights in today's passage in verse 11. He says, as you help us by your prayers... Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. James 5.16 says that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Prayer is powerful. It's not wimpy. It's strong. Don't get in its way. It's going to make an impact. Like when I look at myself in the mirror in the morning and go, oh, it's powerful. Raw power. Maybe it's not the best example. You might want to think of something the opposite to me standing in front of the mirror going, oh, raw power. But you know something when it's powerful. And this passage tells us prayer is powerful. Prayer is also effective. It's not futile or useless. It does what it's meant to. It makes a difference according to God's will. And so I want you to repeat some words after me today. Can we do that? Are we ready? The prayer. Of the righteous is powerful and effective. Okay, now with some passion. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Let me change one thing. My prayer is powerful and effective. Let's say it one more time. 
My prayer prayer. is powerful powerful. and effective. effective. Like the word compelled, prayer is an activity of momentum. It's stepping into the always moving slipstream of God's will, praying that our prayers will be shaped by his will for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom. And in that way, prayer is a weapon that God has given us in our arsenal. We need to know who we're praying to. We need to know who we're praying for. And lastly, we should also know that we're praying to a God who answers. Verse 10 of this passage today, in the midst of overwhelming trouble, Paul says these words. He says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. This should shape our prayer lives. Our prayer lives should consist of God has, God is, God will. This prayer is a prayer of testimony, a prayer of trust, and a prayer of, a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of testimony, remembering God's answers in the past, but it's also a prayer of faith, believing for God's answers in the future. This could be our prayer at follow, that God has provided that God is providing, that God has blessed us, that God has used us and moving forward, God will provide, God will bless, God will use us for his glory. What an amazing prayer that is. A prayer of testimony of the incredible goodness of a God who gives us what we don't deserve. And the prayer of faith, knowing that God is consistent to his character through all the days of our lives. When we pray, we don't just helplessly throw requests into the air and cross our fingers. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were down in Rosebud, and Kim and I were at the carnival at the foreshore. It's very romantic. They were just closing up. Lights were on. They were offering the last opportunities to win prizes in some of their games, at the carnival games. Now, we all know those games are completely rigged. <laughs> but one of the games captured my attention. You could get two darts, and there was a wall full of balloons, and you could throw your dart at the balloons... And whatever number was behind the balloons, they would add up those numbers and then the total of that would determine what prize you would get. Now, we're always um, fixed by the, the, pr- the prize wall, aren't we? The mega prizes. You know, the teddy that's taller than me? And you go, oh, I'd really love that. Then you get it and you think, I don't want this dumb thing. Where am I going to put it? But, but we look at the prizes and we go, wow, I could throw two darts for five bucks and i get one of those big prizes and my kids would be stoked. And so you get the darts. You pay the $5 and you throw the darts. But we all know that you're never going to get one of those prizes. And so I threw the darts and he said, oh, well done. And he added up my points. It came to about 250 points. And he said, now, the prize you get, and I'm looking up there and he goes, it's just down here in the little basket. And I look down there and there's 30, second, 30 cent prizes. You know, and <laughs> you just know that you're not going to get one of those ones. You're going to get one of those ones when you go to a carnival like that. It's completely rigged. In those rigged carnival games, you see the mega prizes, but you throw the dart expecting one of the mini prizes. And sure enough, surprise, surprise, that's what you always get. I think we often view prayer like that. Close our eyes. We throw the prayer out there knowing that God can do the miracle. We might even be able to see the miracle. But we often expect so much less. That's not what prayer is. It's not a wishing well. It's not a rigged carnival game. We're praying to a father who's not only powerful, but he's the father of compassion and the God of comfort. He cares for his children. He hears and he answers our prayers, not always according to the way we want, but always according to his will, which is even better. And so our prayers in 2018 should be full of expectation as we pray that this is powerful and effective because we know who we're praying to. 
We know why we pray. We know who we're praying for, and we balance that, and we remember that God hears and answers our prayers. If you're on the, one of the prayer robots today and your prayer life is healthy, vibrant, alive, passionate, and powerful, then I encourage you to go even deeper in your prayer life this year. But if you're honest, like me, and your prayer life has never really taken off, if it's a constant struggle, if you feel disconnected with God on a regular basis, then I would encourage you to step out this year and make a change. Don't let 2018 be another year of prayerlessness, but rather a year of regular and fruitful conversation with God. I'm going to invite our music team forward now. I'm also going to invite the elders, the leadership support group and the prayer team forward. And we're going to finish this service a little bit differently today. We're going to have all of our leadership. Where are the leaders? Come on. Don't be shy. They're going to come up the front. They're going to line up along here. They're going to be facing you. And they're all here today because we would love to pray with you this morning that this year would be a breakthrough year in your prayer lives. Usually we have a small prayer team and one or two people come down the front for prayer at the end of the service. And that's kind of our culture. But culture can change. And I believe that at the start of this year, God wants to change culture when it comes to prayer. And it can start this morning. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to stand with you. We'd love to believe with you and for you that you're going to have a great year in your prayer life. That your prayer life this year would be powerful and effective. And so we're going to sing our final song in a moment, uh, The Lion and the Lamb. And as we sing that song, feel free to come forward and stand in front of one of our leaders. Um, and we would love to stand with you in prayer. And usually, like I said, not many people come forward because it's scary to come forward. But today, I would imagine there'd be dozens of people. Because if we're honest, I know that many of us struggle with our prayer life. And today, we'd love to stand together and pray with you that your prayer life this year would be powerful and effective. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. At the end of the song, that will be the official close of the service. So please respect this area as people receive prayer. There will be morning tea served as per usual. We're having a BYO lunch today together if you bought lunch. Um, please don't forget to pick up your kids. And our members meeting will commence at 1 p.m. And so let's make sure today that no one's left sitting by themselves after the service, but everyone is included. And so we're going to be praying after the service. So let's stand to our feet. We're going to finish the service praising the Lord in song. So let's do that.